to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Vera Donenberg. Dr. Donenberg is an assistant professor of surgery and also of uh, pharmaceutical science at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Donenberg, it's a pleasure to have you on Regenerative Medicine Today. Good morning. It's a pleasure to see you. I know that you have many interests in many scientific pursuits, but uh, one of the ones that excites me is the work on identifying cancer stem cells and then what therapeutic strategies one might pursue if in fact uh, cancer stem cells are the source of tumors. Can you just briefly give us an overview of your activities and status of your research in that area? Sure. The reason why cancer stem cells are so exciting to us because they rely on the interface between cancer, oncology, and regenerative medicine. And the reason for that is that they seem to be the cells which are responsible for regenerating tissue upon injury, but also probably for regenerating tumors or even generating new tumors at the time of um, tumorigenesis. I've heard the analogy, which I'll share with you and our audience, and you can tell me if, in fact, this is a, an accurate description. And the analogy is that uh, if you had a tumor with, uh, for the sake of this discussion, immune uh, cells, and you, with chemotherapy and, and or radiation, just destroyed the tumor, or tried to destroy the tumor, and you destroyed 999,000 of the million cells, but you didn't kill the cancer stem cell, you still have cancer. Is that a fair lay description of uh, what we're dealing with? That's exactly what we're trying to study, and that's exactly what we hypothesize. The reason for it is that all therapeutic modalities currently um, used to target tumors are designed to spare the normal tissue stem cells. And the reason for it is because you would like to kill the tumor, but you cannot harm the patient irreparably. So what happens, um, you might shrink the tumor, but the cells which you cannot affect are the normal tissue stem cells, which are around the tumor, and they should repair the tissue along the same ways you might not be able to kill the cancer stem cells. Now, cancer and tumors are not exactly the same as normal tissue. They are different in a couple of ways. One, that we can think of them as aberrant tissues, or tumors are caricatures of normal tissues from which they come. So maybe it's not exactly the most primitive pluripotent stem cell which give rise to its progeny and then the tumor itself. Maybe the cell responsible for tumor growth is a cell somewhere along the path which either hijacked, which means reacquired through mutations, which are changes or mistakes in DNA, and it reacquires properties of stem cells. The properties are self-renewal and self-protection, and maybe even multipotentiality. If I, if I continue my lay analogy, the, this one remaining undestroyed cancer stem cell in my million cell tumor has different resistance to the traditional chemotherapy and radiation. So again, I'm, I'm checking to see if this hypothesis is correct. Is that so? Yes. We have looked in um, culture, or what we call in vitro, which is a system where we actually remove tumors and normal tissue from patients which donate this tissue for research 
as well as um, the tissue for clinical diagnosis. We take these tissues and we uh, dissociate them and we treat them just like they will be treated within the patient. And we see who survives and from the cells, which are the cells which survive, which are capable of dividing and making more tumor-like structures in vitro. Unfortunately, we are also um, able to do these experiments, not experiments, to do these studies in patients which we the tissues before, during, and after therapy. And what we see that even though the tumors might shrink, the cells which are left at the end of chemotherapy are very mild, very normal-looking stem cells. However, when we take these cells and inject them into immunocompromised mice, which are capable of, of culturing or of propagating human tissue, we can see that those are the cells which will initiate growth of human tumors in animals. This is a significant discovery from my perspective, and I believe that there are different modalities for different types of cancers. Are there some cancers that this pursuit that you're following is more applicable to? Well, this is actually a generalizable concept, and this concept really comes from the hematologic malignancies, where because of very clear pattern of differentiation of the most primitive bone marrow stem cell into the various blood lineages, we know the morphology and we know the expression of the various markers associated with these lineages. And what the hematologists have done, they have traced the mutations which are responsible for the particular malignancies for the particular lymphomas and leukemias, and they trace them back up this tree to the most multipotent hematopoietic stem cell. Many of our listeners have interest in topics we discuss here because of afflictions that either they or their, their family might have. So one of the typical and frequent questions we receive to the podcast is what's the status of this relative to clinical use or even mm-hmm. clinical assessment. What can we do, basically? Mm-hmm. Well, this knowledge is important in two ways. One, it's for diagnostic purposes, because we need to know that whether this happens to every single person with every single kind of therapy, and we need to monitor the patients. There have been a slew of new tests which measure circulating cancer cells, But with the new knowledge that not all cancer cells are created equal, only a small subset of those cells are actually capable of propagating new tumors, we know what these cells look like, we know what markers they express, and we can trace what is happening in patients in vivo. Because we can look at the scenario. Um, We give patient chemotherapy, the tumor shrinks, and the stem cells which are capable of dividing and generating new tumors, might not immediately do that. They might actually sit. They might not proliferate because that's not what stem cells normally do. They quiescent cells. And they can be in this dormant state for a year, five years, or 15 years. So what is really crucial for us to study is this maintenance of the dormancy state. 
where we might not be able to kill these stem cells. But that should be all right, as long as we can prevent them from reactivation and entering into the regenerative mode where they regenerate the tumor. So the, I understand that this is still a, uh, a piece of science in development or in, in progress, but what else needs to be done before uh, someone might be able to try this new strategy for certain types of cancers in patients? Well, this is still at its infancy. This is um, a research notion. This is a notion which has been with us for a long time. It was initiated in the um, area of hematology. And now the same concepts are being applied to epithelial tumors, which are the tumors of breasts, ovaries, lung, esophagus, and um, what, what else is of epithelial lineage. And at current state, we are not targeting these cells because we don't know the clear differences between normal tissue regeneration and cancer regeneration. So we don't have clear idea how to spare the normal stem cells and how to target the cancer cells. Ideally, and this would be true for any kind of compound as well as cancer vaccine, the cancer stem cells will be aberrant enough that they might express certain proteins or activate certain pathways which are different from the normal tissues themselves, which will enable us to then directly target these cancer stem cells. Now, this is a tall order because most cancer or anti-cancer therapies are given systemically. And we have to make sure not that the compounds or the um, vaccine targets the right cells, but that it, the treatment actually gets to all the remote parts. The other thing is what we don't know yet. It's, the concept comes back to it's not the primary tumor which kills the patient. It is the metastasis. That's what we are having very difficulty treating because we don't know necessarily where the metastasis is going to occur and when it's going to occur. So it, it has a temporal part as well. So the thought is, when would you start treatment? When the metastasis occurs? Or should we start treatment upon the initial diagnosis? So all these pieces will have to be put together in order to come up with a different strategy. But this is what I believe is the most important part of it, that for the stem cell field contributing this knowledge to cancer, we are changing the current thinking about cancer. We are changing the idea of what cancer is and the understanding the regenerative component to cancer will allow us to come up with different therapies targeting the dormant cancer stem cells, which may be disseminated and which may be just one, two, or three cancer stem cells lodged in the liver, in the brain, or, or in the lungs. So it's an interesting strategy because you don't know where the metastasis will take place. The idea is to have a vaccine to prevent that event from occurring as opposed to just trying to target cancer stem cells that may be in organ X, Y, or Z. That's correct because most of the disease, the, the biggest trouble with this disease is that we get it 
after it has time to um, grow. When we see patients, patients come when they already have a physical side effect of the tumor growing either on the lungs or breast or, or somewhere else. And it is crucial, that's why it's so crucial today to have early diagnosis and early intervention. And we would like to take the same concept to the treatment of metastasis, whether it's a vaccine or whether it's a therapeutic modality, which one takes immediately after excision of the primary tumor. This is quite fascinating, and as I indicated earlier, it's a, uh, it's a major change in philosophy about what causes cancers and how you might treat them. And to answer my own question in terms of the availability of this to treat patients, that uh, it's clear that you are at least in the process of making a, uh, a major leap in terms of the first step along this pathway, but as you've indicated, there's a number of other steps that need to be accomplished before this can be clinically available. That's correct. Okay. However, it's this collaboration between sort of the three branches of science, regenerative medicine, basic oncology research, and then the more translational and clinical brand and our colleagues, that what will enable the fastest and the most effective treatments to date. And um, as a there are multiple companies which are not just interested, which are actively pursuing new therapies which are directly targeted to the cancer stem cells, whether it's vaccines or whether it's particular pathway inhibitions. Dr. Donenberg, we've uh, introduced this topic of uh, stem cells and uh, cancer stem cells. Can you elaborate a little bit on the, uh, the role of uh, stem cells in this uh, whole process of, of forming a tumor and, and so forth? Definitely. Um, the notion of cancer stem cells as the cells which are able to resist therapy and then propagate the tumor really comes from developmental biology where when um, either in, during acute injury or during chronic injury, we lose mature tissue. And the signals, the feedback signals, reactivate the dormant tissue stem cells into division. Stem cells are the only cells in the body which have a trick of asymmetric division, which means when one cell divides, it divides into two unequal daughters. One cell being exactly the same as the parent, which is the stem cell, and the other being more differentiated, more lineage-specific progenitor, which then in turn divides by symmetric division. So it will give rise to two equal daughters, which will then mediate the tissue regeneration. This is very important because this is how you maintain throughout life the pool of stem cells, which hopefully keep us from getting gray and getting wrinkles and keep our tissues nice and healthy. And this is an important concept because this directly links us with tumorigenesis, where we can have a cell which either contained 
or is a stem cell and has the stem cell property of self-renewal and self-protection, or it's a cell down the path which through the mutation reacquired these tricks. So it was not able, maybe the cell was not able to do asymmetric division and self-renew, but through the proper mutations, it reacquired this ability. And now we have a cell which has changes in the DNA, mutations, and is able to self-renew. And just like all stem cells in our body, it is resistant to therapy because it has transporters which constantly pump xenobiotics or toxins which would normally enter the cell out from the cell. So these cells are protected. And this is why um, they're not easily injurable, but they're also not easily killable. And this is where the analogy, and this is where the term cancer stem cells comes from. This does not prove that these cells, that cancer comes directly from stem cells. But what it shows, that cancer comes from cells and it's propagated by cells, which have stem cell-like properties. And this is why studying normal stem cell biology, what keeps these cells dormant, what reactivates these cells and causes them to divide and then differentiate. And in the adult, why do these cells can have a limited differentiation capacity and why they cannot regenerate the tissue de novo just like they would in utero. These paths are critical because they are directly applicable to cancer biology. Because if we understand what happens in normal, we can detect the similarities or the dissimilarities in this process in cancer and target these cells more logically, target these cells specifically while sparing the normal tissue stem cells. This is something which we don't have. There are therapies which are not currently available. Um, the only therapies which do target currently the cancer stem cells are surgical interventions because you hope that given early diagnosis, these cancer stem cells did not have time to disseminate, and you take them out with the tissue. However, it is not the primary disease which is the culprit. It is not the primary disease which ultimately kills the patient. It is the metastasis. And again, from developmental biology and from regenerative medicine, understanding what triggers stem cell division is necessary to understand what happens when you have been tumor-free for 5, 10, 15 years and suddenly you have a relapse. Is it because you went skiing and you broke your leg and the signals which are involved during acute injury and then chronic tissue repair of the bone and the vessels in the broken leg are these the same signals which are reactivating the dormant cancer stem cells? This is crucial because this also links another branch of biology into cancer and regenerative medicine and cancer stem cells, and that's inflammation. The role of inflammation 
in tumorigenesis. These go hand in hand. Inflammation, whether it's for esophageal cancer, chronic inflammation associated with chronic reflux, bowel inflammatory disease, how is that associated? It's a, it's a key predisposing factor for colon cancer, um, ovarian cancer, and the inflammatory process by which the follicle ruptures. It seems that all these processes are generalizable processes in the body which are hijacked or are maintained during tumorigenesis. To summarize what you just said, that cancer starts with an insult. It could be a physical insult, it could be a chemical insult, there's some insult in the body that starts this inflammatory process and this cell division sequence you just described that, that winds up with a, with a cancer. Or just being unlucky having um, familial mutations which were passed on to you which can predispose you to cancer. However, cancer, it's a multifactorial disease. Having a one mutation doesn't mean that you will have cancer. You have to accumulate the cell, the right cell has to accumulate the series of mutations. The cell has to be self-renewing, it has to be protected because if you can kill it with toxins, the cell is killable, is dead and it's no longer um, capable of tumorigenesis. So it's a it's a process which happens over time, and this is the exception of childhood cancers, which are mistakes, basically during embryogenesis and during fetal development. As we age, we accumulate damaged cells which were repaired maybe incorrectly, and we see dramatic increase in cancer. So it's not just the inflammation. Those are probably just the signals which are being used to then take these cells and have them divide and make a mass. The other distinction between what we would call cancer stem cells and normal tissue stem cells is that they have slightly different jobs or job descriptions. In normal tissue, the pluripotent stem cell has to divide, generate its progeny, which then has to generate not just one tissue, it has to generate epithelial tissue, it might have to generate the vessels which feed the epithelial tissue, we have to have the tissue innervated. There is a very structured um, effort. It has to maintain the structure of the tissue. The problem with cancer is that the cell, all what it has to do is to divide and generate bulk of the tumor. No structure is needed. And this is what is a, another very important concept in oncology. It's not just the differential killing, or there might not be differential killing, between normal tissue stem cell and the cancer stem cell. It's also the timing that the cancer stem cell already has to survive and then spew out more of its progeny. But in normal tissue, the stem cell has to regenerate the tissue in a very organized architecture. And meanwhile, probably the functionality of the tissue, the stem cell is regenerating, it's been terribly compromised. So that's, it's, the, it's this kind of a race which sort of gets us at the end with the metastasis while we're treating the tumor, we are trying to kill the tumor cells. We don't have specific compounds for that, so we are also injuring the liver.
So we're compromising the liver's capability, and what is ultimately succumbed, what the, what the patient ultimately succumbs, is the loss of liver function. So based on what you've just shared with us, I could imagine that there could be an issue of causing more problems with reconstructive surgery. Is that a correct hypothesis? That's a fantastic question. This is uh, actually something which the reviewers of our grants have asked. What happens when tumors hijack the normal regenerative signal for their growth? So what happens when you have a primary tumor which has been successfully removed, but you might still have some tiny occult one, two, three tensile metastasis, and you uh, decide to regenerate this tissue? The way to test this, and this is again going back to early work on tumor stroma, what earlier scientists saw is that even though the normal cells which feed or support the tumor growth, had no genetic mutations. They contributed to the tumor growth in an aberrant way. The vessels within tumors are what we so far hypothesized of normal tissue origin, but yet they don't have the morphology of normal tissue vessels. And we and other scientists have done simple experiments. We take out the tumor cells which have the mutations, we take out the normal supporting stroma and the tumor supporting stroma, and we swap the two. And what we see in culture, that when you take tumor cells, see them, normal tissue stroma, these cells behave quite normally. They still have genetic mutations, but they don't make the bulky disease. Whereas you take the tumor cells, you put them back into their tumor-supporting environment, and there we will get bulky disease. Now, what happens then when we have occult metastasis and we put in normal tissue, just we would like to regenerate maybe more normal-appearing breasts? When we did this experiment in culture, no doubt that when we add the regenerating tissue, the tumor stem cells started to divide. So the next step is to confirm this experiment in mice, because today there are thousands and thousands of operations which have been done where tissue were lost due to tumor removal surgery has been repaired, and we do not see necessarily an increase in local or in that tissue metastasis. So we have taken the tumorigenic cells, seeded them, with normal tissues. And we use various tissues because you cannot um, assume that if you add normal vasculature, if you add normal fat, if you add normal bone marrow, that these cells would behave differently. Because it has been shown that certain components, let's say of bone marrow, do support tumor growth better than others. And we were very surprised. What we saw in vitro, which was market enhancement of tumor growth, we cannot support in vivo. We do see tissue regeneration, but the tissue appears normal. It doesn't appear that we have the very classical uh, hard bulky growth. We're very excited about this because this is what's going to make immediate difference, what is making immediate difference 
fortunes. When you have any of these very disfiguring head and neck cancers, um, you need to regenerate the tissue. We made huge progress in tissue regeneration. But if there is the chance that this would cause the tumors to recur, no one would go for this therapy. So this is a, this is an avenue of, again, intersection of cancer and regenerative medicine, which we are pursuing very actively. And it's very, very exciting to us because we actually see a positive spin. We, we, we don't just see that we cannot kill themselves and the situation is grim. We can maybe even think of this as a therapy. If we can eliminate the cancers themselves, we cannot kill them. We know they are there. Well, could we, what we would call, repolarize them? Could we get them to integrate into the normal tissue regenerative process in an organized way? So the cells would be there, but they would not be giving rise to bulky growth. Or, the other way, could we just keep them dormant? If we know the signals which drive them to divide, can we block these signals? Can we deprive them of these signals? So we're very excited about this because this is the first time after X many years trying to find the key differences between cancer stem cells and normal tissue stem cells and targets on cancer stem cells, which are normal tissue stem cells. We see a different path, which we didn't see before. Maybe we don't have to kill these cells. Maybe we can just keep them from generating tumors. Fascinating. Dr. Donenberg, you've talked about the issue of metastasis, and I assume that the, the, the method of communicating or getting cancer stem cells from one part of the body to the other is through the bloodstream. So is this, this idea of a, a circulation, circulation of cancer stem cells a, a valid hypothesis? It is, and it's not. And the issue is, how do tumor stem cells disseminate? How do they move from your breast to your brain or from, from your breast to your colon or liver? And to date, there are tests where one can measure circulating cancer cells and their prognostic of the clinical status of the patient. However, it's not necessarily, measuring these cells in the circulation might not tell us what's going on in the tissue because these cells do not like to circulate. They, they reside and they grow in tissues themselves. So what you see in the circulation, it's more like what cars or what population would you see in a highway between the two cities? Sampling population in the cars on a highway might not tell us what are the people which live in city A versus city B? It will just tell us what are the people which travel between city A and city B. So although fascinating and although important, because there is no doubt that these cells do circulate, it might not necessarily tell us who is hidden in the bone marrow. Additionally, this again has to do with the timing. Maybe early on in the onset and growth of primary tumor, these cells might not circulate. So question is where we are in the tumor growth. When you have large tumors, when you have very aggressive tumors, you might see more of those cells circulating, but it might have nothing to do with the biology of these cells. It might have more to do with the size of the tumors and vice versa. 
by not seeing the cells, even more important, they doesn't mean that they're not there. They might be perfectly lodged in the liver. They might be in the bone marrow. It's just they don't circulate. So yes, I know it's important, but it might not be relevant to target cells in the circulation. As you said, we cannot really take a sieve and sieve them out. The question which remains is during surgery for primary tumor, are there certain techniques which prevent the dissemination of those cells over other techniques? And this is in several institutions, including ours, this is key interest in the surgical department, how to remove the tumors without disseminating these cells from the primary site. So that is area of active, active interest. Well, Dr. Donenberg, it's uh, been most fascinating discussion in terms of learning about your research and this new paradigm that you're pursuing with your colleagues relative to cancer. I also appreciate overview that you provided of cancer, both in terms of the development of, of tumors and the most critical issue in terms of uh, spreading cancers uh, throughout the body. I will post on the podcast website links to uh, some more information about Dr. Donenberg and her interests in her laboratory. And as uh, we conclude, I'd like to remind our listeners that, that we cannot diagnose uh, problems by the internet, but we do welcome your suggestions in terms of uh, topics to cover. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And again, as we conclude, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, which sponsors these podcasts. Until we meet again in two weeks with another interesting and exciting interview, best wishes. (music) 